Amen. Well, grab your Bibles with me. If you're visiting, we, uh, we have a belief around here. This is God's Word. And it's, it's our book. It's, our, it's, our, it's our, our foundation for how we live and what we believe. And uh, we look to it every single time we come together. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and that's where we'll be today, the Gospel of Mark, the 16th chapter. We've been walking through the events of Jesus' last week um, through the Gospel of Mark. And today, obviously, we come to the section in the 16th chapter that deals with the resurrection. We're going to look at starting in 16th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, the first verse. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of, mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Now, him is Jesus. He has died. It put him in a tomb, and they're coming now on Sunday morning to finish the burial procedure. So verse 2, so very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had already been rolled away, although it was extremely large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right, wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He has risen. Say it with me. He has risen He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they had laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. They went out and fled from the tomb, and for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now after he had arisen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. After that, he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along on their way to the country. They went away and reported it to the others, but they did not believe them either. And we'll stop right there. The risen Savior... That's what this is about. The fact that Jesus is alive. Friends, if you want to understand one thing about Easter, it's this. That Jesus is alive. That Easter and Christianity are about life. That's what they're about. About He is risen. He is not here. Were the words from the angel that day in the tomb. You see, unlike any other religion in the world, and I know there's all kinds of religions, and they claim to be right. But we have something that no one else has, and it's what makes us, even though it may sound arrogant, but it's not arrogant what I'm going to say, because it's God's truth from God's Word, makes us unique. And it's this, that we alone serve a risen, living Savior. Jesus is alive. We don't have to worship somebody who's dead. We don't have to look back to somebody who's dead. We may look back in Scripture and see what He's done in the past. But we serve a risen, living Savior who's alive today. And friends, on that, on that Easter Sunday, His followers, according to the verses we read, went to the tomb expecting to continue with their burial traditions. The wrapping of the body and the anointing of His body with spices. But instead of doing what they planned on doing, they were faced with an empty tomb and they were confronted by an angel. 
And the angel spoke words to them that day that must have been almost impossible to believe. Maybe at first it was impossible to believe because they didn't believe it. They ran out and they were afraid and they hid. And it had to be incredibly impossible to believe those words. He's not here. He has risen had to be very hard for them to believe because they had gone through an incredible series of events in just the week preceding that morning when they went to the tomb. Just think of the week they had had just in those seven days prior to that morning when they find the empty tomb. Things that would have caused them to not want to believe. It just seemed impossible. You know, they had seen Jesus riding on a donkey coming into Jerusalem as a king. We celebrated that on Palm Sunday. Coming into the cheers of the crowds, shouts of, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they've said, look, the one we've been following for three years, he must really be the king. And he's going to set up a kingdom. And he's going to be, he's going to overturn, overthrow Roman rule. And we're going to be champions with Jesus. They had gone from that mountain peak And then they'd watch Jesus, once he rode into town, come in and cleanse the temple, they said. And what they meant by that is he'd come in and he had looked at the temple courts where it was supposed to be a place of prayer, he said, but but the people had set up tables to sell um, sacrificial animals. And he said, you've made it into a den of thieves. And he began to overturn their tables and drive out the animals and said, listen, my house will be called a house of prayer. My father's house will be called a house of prayer. They had eaten the Last Supper with Jesus. They had sat down with him just before the night in which he was betrayed. On the night in which he was betrayed, they had eaten the Last Supper with the twelve. And they had had Jesus take and gird himself with a towel and wash their feet and, and display humility and servanthood to them in a way they had never understood before. And they had heard him say these incredibly bizarre words to their ears saying, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they were trying to get their, their minds around that. And then they went with them to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prayed in such agony and such anguish that they watched him literally sweat drops of blood as he wrestled with the, with the role that he knew that he had to play with the Father's plan. And he prayed God, he said, God, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, meaning that I don't have to partake in drinking or participate in the, in the events that are to come. If there's any way this cup can pass from me, God, let it be, but not my will be done. Thy will be done. And then they had seen Jesus arrested by an angry mob of all things, led by one of the twelve who had become a betrayer, a traitor. They'd given him a mock trial, and they'd said guilty. And then he'd seen him as a, as a convicted felon be taken out and be beaten and spit upon and nailed to a cross between two thieves when all the people mocked him. This one that had ridden as a king a couple days earlier is now humiliated in front of the crowds, nailed between two common thieves, and he dies the most horrible death you can ever imagine. And finally, they had seen him buried, laid in a borrowed tomb with a stone rolled in front of the tomb to cover it. And they said, it's over. And that was in their minds, it's over. That was in their hearts, it's over. What we thought was right was wrong. It can't be true. He's not really who we thought he was. So it must have been very hard to grasp the words of the angel on that Sunday morning when the angel said, you are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. They believed that. They were looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. But it was the next words that would have been impossible to grasp. When the angel said, 
He has risen. He's not here. You know, but even though that message may have seemed impossible to grasp, here's the truth, the greatest truth in all history, that it was true. That he has risen from the dead. And that he's alive forevermore. And church, that's just as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. Jesus' resurrection isn't just a myth. Jesus' resurrection isn't just a story. It's a fact. And it's a fact that history confirms. The resurrection has been confirmed in many, many ways from that time to this. And I want to talk about some of them today. You see, the empty tomb confirmed the resurrection. When the angel said, he's not here, he is risen, that empty tomb confirmed the reality of the resurrection. You see, history tells us that Roman soldiers had stood guard over that tomb, but when they got there in the morning, the body was gone. And you know what, friends? If his enemies had come in in the night and taken his body, as some would like to say, um, they would have quickly produced his body to prove that he was dead, to humiliate the people who were saying, we've seen him alive, walking on the streets, we've talked to him, he's appeared to us in the homes. But they didn't do that. And if his disciples had taken the body, as some would like to say, they would have never in the following years given their lives and been tortured and and executed for saying they believed in the risen Savior when in the back of their minds they always knew he was alive. No person will die for something they know to be a lie. No, the empty tomb confirmed the reality of the resurrection. But friends, there's more than just the empty tomb that confirms it. We also see from the words of Scripture and from the writings apart from Scripture that hundreds of witnesses also confirmed the fact of the resurrection. Scripture says that Jesus, when he was alive, appeared to hundreds of people over a 40-day period of time. Hundreds of people, crowds of people had seen him alive. He didn't just appear to, to one person like he did at one time and two persons on the road like we saw, but Scripture elsewhere says that he appeared to hundreds of people And they all saw him alive. So hundreds of witnesses confirm the resurrection. We'll convict a person of a crime if one witness says they saw him do it. And they had hundreds of people who said, we saw him. We're witnesses of the fact. But there's more. It's not just the empty tomb and not just the hundreds of witnesses that confirm the truth of the resurrection, but also history says that the early church, that brand new fledgling church that had just been birthed, through the, with the twelve disciples, that early church also confirmed the resurrection. Because you see, friends, the reality is that that group who was defeated, Scripture says, they were hiding, they were waiting to become and be overtaken by the authorities, that they were scared, that that group of scared disciples were changed into an army of evangelists. People who went out and spread the news of one, one message, He's alive. That's the message they spread. That group of people spread that. They were changed from scared disciples into an army of evangelists for one reason and one reason only. They had met the risen Savior. The early church, with his explosive growth, confirms the reality of the resurrection. But that's not the only confirmation. There's another confirmation that's, not, that, that's old, but it's new. And that's what I want you to zero in on today, and it's this. 
that another confirmation of the resurrection is a fact that millions of changed lives throughout history have confirmed and still confirm the resurrection. Still confirm that Jesus is alive. You see, when people meet Jesus alive, He still changes them. You see, when our lives, you and me, when our lives are changed by the reality of Jesus, you know what's going on? We are confirming the validity of the the resurrection. We prove with a changed life, that Jesus is really still alive. You know what? That's why on Easter Sunday we come together and do something at Portview that is wonderful. We come together and we baptize people who've said, I've met the risen Savior. Because every changed life continues to confirm that Jesus is still alive. You see, water baptism is the Easter story told in the life of every person who comes to Jesus for forgiveness and salvation. You've maybe maybe never thought of that before. That water baptism is the Easter story told in every one of our lives. Matter of fact, that's what the Bible says about water baptism. Grab your Bible and turn with me to the book of Romans. And maybe you're going to see something in a way that you've never seen before you're going to see that water baptism is the Easter story. Romans chapter 6, starting in the first verse, it says this. It says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that's Easter, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him, for death that he died, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Look what the scriptures are saying there. Jesus died and rose again. That's Good Friday and Easter. You know, he was buried in a tomb. And God the Father resurrected him to eternal life by the power of the eternal spirit. That's the Easter story. And then in verse 4 of our text, it says that our water baptism is symbolic of those events. Look at verse 4. It says, therefore, we have been buried, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. It says, we die to sin. We die to self with Jesus. And we are buried under the water of baptism like he was buried in a tomb. 
That's why when people say, they say, how come you bring in something that looks like a coffin? And you bury people. You, you dunk them under the water. How come you just don't sprinkle them on the head? It's because we're following tradition and we're following the symbolism of the Word of God. It says that, that as we follow that, we bury somebody. We immerse them completely underwater for baptism because we are symbolically being buried with Christ at baptism. Think of it this way, friends. That's your Good Friday. Your Good Friday the time you died and were buried. That's what happens in that first part of water baptism, the first part of the Easter story. You're buried with Christ. And then, like Jesus, we don't stay in the grave. Fortunately, when we bury you, we don't bury you under the water for three days. But that's, that's that story. But then, like Jesus, we are resurrected out of the grave, out from under the water by the power and the glory of the Father, by the life-giving Spirit. And friend, that's our Easter morning. Our Easter morning is when we're resurrected out of the tomb. We're resurrected out of the water. And that's our Easter morning. You see, water baptism is the Easter story. It's about the tomb. And it's about the tomb being empty. You see, water baptism symbolizes what God's plan is for each of us. That we would die to the old self. That old self that is ruled by sin and separated from God. And we would live a new life, a new self, one of real life and real holiness and separation from the things that had kept us away from God in the past. Look at verse 5 with us, with me this morning. It says, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. It says that we are like him in dying. So we're buried like he was in order that we may live like him with resurrection power. And the text that we read tells us the reality of this empowered lifestyle. Look at verses 6 and 7. This just says once we're raised from the dead and we're empowered by his spirit that there's results in our life from that. Look at verses 6 and 7. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. See, friends, it says when we die with Jesus, and we are spiritually raised by the power of God, that we then become free from the control of sin. You know, can we grasp what that means to us today? Can we get beyond just the symbolism that so often happens in church life and in the church world that we just look at the, at the symbolism and we don't get the heart? Can we grasp what that means to us today? It means that when we come to Jesus and we receive salvation, that it does not end there, it just begins there. That this new life that we live with Jesus is to be a life of resurrection power that overcomes sin. And we are to live holy lives as those who have died and have been resurrected in the power of the Spirit. That we have been reborn with Jesus. And friends, the reason God chose to have us recognize spiritual salvation by water baptism is so that we could get the point. He says, I'm going to make it real obvious to all of you. That the old life of sin is gone. That it's been buried. It's been washed away. And now your new life is one of power over sin. Look at verse 11, what it says there. It says, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God 
in Christ Jesus. Friends, that's your Easter morning. That's your resurrection in power of the Holy Spirit. That we are alive in the power of Christ. You see, water baptism, Easter, is a declaration that we are now to live lives dead to sin. Not giving ourselves to sin anymore. And when we do sin, we seek forgiveness of our sins. We run to Jesus, the one who brings sin. And when we seek forgiveness, then we change. And the good news is, is when we've been buried and resurrected and the resurrection power of God lives within us, we have the ability, not in ourselves, but in Him, to bring change into our lives. It's kind of like the time when Jesus met the lady caught in adultery. And if you remember the story from the Scriptures, there was a time when, when some religious leaders brought a, a, a lady caught in the act of adultery to Jesus and said, the law says kill her. What do you say to do? And they wanted to trip him up. They wanted to see what's he going to say. And he said, you know what, those of you who don't have any sin, cast the first stone. And the story says that from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and they walked away. And that Jesus forgave her. But you know what? He then said something that's vitally important for you to remember and for me to remember. He then said to the woman, lady, go and sin no more. He said there's power in the resurrection. There's power to change in the resurrection. Go and sin no more. And those of you in the congregation today that are being baptized, and those of us who have been baptized, we need to understand something today. Realize that on this Easter morning, that it is just as true to us as it was to the woman that Jesus ministered to on that morning, that we have died, and we have been buried with Christ, and have been raised to new life with Him, and now we are to live as dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, that we are to go and sin no more. That we're to have transformed lives because of the reality of the risen Savior living within us. And friend, that's the statement that we make when we're baptized. We die to sin, and we live in the power of the resurrection. Power that enables us to say no to sin. Power to live like Jesus. He says we can become like Him. So friends, Easter and water baptism are the celebrations of the resurrection power for living lives that overcome this world of sin. That's what we're talking about today when we look at Easter. That's what we talk about today when we baptize people. You see, Jesus would be happy if we celebrate, just came together and celebrated the fact that he died and rose again. But he is eternally more happy when we recognize that, he's, that, that that life that he gave is meant to change the life that we live. Because he died so there would be transformation in my life and in yours. So, so water baptism is Easter. It's death, Good Friday. It's resurrection, Easter morning. That makes sense? Amen.